Hey, good morning again. Good to be with you. If you're visiting, really glad that you're here. We are in Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 18 today. And again, just this week and next before we leave Exodus, which we've been in for a while. Um, one of the things I really love about the way that we teach and just kind of go through the Bible and uh, just sit in big, big parts for a long time is uh, we often get to some of the less known places. We're in the well-known places too. And earlier in Exodus, that is pretty well known that the plagues and the Passover and parting the Red Sea, like those are things that, that people know. Um, but then we get to Exodus 18 and this document was written thousands of years ago and in it, we find Moses dealing with a common modern problem uh, where he seems to be on the verge of burnout. Actually, this morning, uh, I was telling the tech guys the title of the sermon. Today, the sermon is Burnout. And they just both look and they're like, huh, me too. And I'm like, okay, so this is like a thing that everyone is, uh, is kind of feeling. It's almost like a buzzword right now. And it's so funny with, when it comes to the Bible and just finding things like this in there because sometimes you hear people say things like, you know, you, you can't base your life off the Bible. It's, it's archaic. It's too old and out of touch, and it's just not, it's not relevant. It's not a good thing to base your life off of. But here it is, all the way in Exodus 18, this kind of obscure place, burnout. It's kind of like, a, you know, everyone is talking about burnout. And uh, most of the stuff I found when I was kind of looking at burnout this week, most of the stuff is related to the context of work and your place of employment. That's where most of the research is being done. Um, but burnout is certainly present in other contexts uh, because, I mean, work is more than just the place that pays you. Like you're you know, your, your family, you work in your home for your family, and you, um, you work in your church, or you work in all kinds of other ways that you might be um, laboring. Uh, but the research that talks about employment says 89% of workers experienced burnout in the past year. I'm not like a mathematician or anything, but that's like a high number. And I feel like probably more than a few people in this room are personally familiar with burnout. Uh, just, just too much stress that builds up, it piles on, and it's not, being, uh, it's not being managed or it can't be managed or mitigated, and it just builds up more and more to the point that you just sort of crash. And that's what burnout is. And the way that each person crashes is different in the intensity of it. So like for some people, they just need an abrupt change. And burnout is the number one cited reason for people who quit their job. Uh, so you just need an abrupt change, and, and so you make the change. Some people, that's what the crash is. Some people, uh, you still show up, but you lose all motivation and all energy, and you just kind of do the minimum to get by. Um, and again, this is not only in the context of employment. Like, we look at Moses and what he's doing. He's leading the nation of Israel through the wilderness and out of slavery in Egypt, and, uh, and, like, his work, like, it's all tied up in his whole life. Like, he doesn't really get time away from that, okay? Like, it's, it's everything. And so much of life actually is work or labor. And we don't, we don't typically think of it this way, but what the Bible says in the very beginning, part of what it means to be human is to work. Like, it's an essential part of what it means to be human. That, that's how God created us and some of the purpose he has for us in making us. So and before sin ever enters the world, 
So in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2, we read this. Uh, first, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. In Genesis 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So in Genesis, we see God himself working in creation. He works for six days and he creates everything. On the sixth day, he creates mankind in his own image. And being made in God's image, he also gives man work to do. We're given dominion over the rest of creation, so that's the responsibility to, to manage and take care of what God has created to bring about the most possible flourishing from it. Uh, work is never meant to be a punishment for sin. It's part of God's plan and His purpose for us. I mean, maybe your job is punishment for sin. Um, you know, there are bad jobs out there, and, uh, but, but at a fundamental level, like work itself is not a bad thing. There is bad work, but work itself is not a bad thing. And it, it does. It gives us purpose, some of the purpose God created us for, that it gives us a way to improve the world around us, to bless the people around us and, and meet their needs. Um, and I love that the very first job that we see in the Bible is working in this garden, because if you think about like kind of any work that you might do, gardening is a great, like it translates like the image and the metaphor of gardening translates to almost any kind of work that you can do. Uh, again, more than just your job, family being work, uh, working to be a good spouse, working to be a good parent, uh, working, it, like if you're in school, uh, working at your, your grades and your education, you're studying, um, even just taking care of the things that you've been given. Like even if you're like growing up and you're in school, like you, you have your room to, to, to manage and steward and take care of it, or you have your house, you have your car, like the things, you have your health, right? All these things that God has given you to have responsibility over and take care of. Um, gardening is a great image and metaphor for all kinds of work because it's all about this cultivating, right? What do you do in, in cultivating a garden? You plant the right seeds, you water it, you pull out the weeds, you remove the stones, you prune the plant. You do all this work and all this labor for what? Not like for a meaningless exercise in futility. At the end, you get the fruit of your labor. Like in gardening, the literal fruit of your labor, right? There's, there's a result that your work produces that you get, to, you get to take a step back and see, this is what I've done, and you get to enjoy that. Of course, you know, it's... It, it doesn't stay perfect like that because Genesis 3, sin enters the world and sin makes work harder. It's still essentially a good thing and an important thing for us, but it becomes harder. And in the ways that it becomes harder, it can, it can pile stress on you. And if you, don't, um, if you don't manage it properly or if you're not able to manage it properly, uh, it, it might result in bringing you down, wearing you out, and, and putting you in the place of burnout. Um, I don't want you to burn out. I don't want to burn out. And uh, Moses might have burned out if someone did not come to visit him in Exodus 18 and become this, uh, this, this breath of fresh air for him and, and really make some important changes for him. So Exodus 18, starting in verse 1, we read this. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, 
heard, all, uh, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to, vis- uh, to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, uh, when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And uh, Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. All right, kind of a lot in here, but uh, just to take you back earlier in Exodus, if you remember, Moses is raised as the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter um, in an unwise first attempt to help the people of Israel he sees an Egyptian taskmaster who is beating an Egypt, uh, a Hebrew slave, and he kills the taskmaster, and it becomes known, and he it becomes afraid, and he runs away, and he ends up in Midian, and, uh, and he meets Jethro, and he meets his wife there. He gets married and has children. Uh, then he has an encounter with God at the burning bush, and he goes back to Egypt. Uh, and along the way, going back to Egypt, there's this strange incident that involves his wife Zipporah and like this strange thing that happens with God and she seems really upset at the end of it. Uh, so we don't have details about when this happened, if, um, if Zipporah went back to her father uh, at that incident or if it was at some point during the plagues when it started to get a little, little, little shysty and uh, didn't want to be in Egypt or, uh, or even if she was with him the whole time and they got out and then she went to go visit her father and bring him to, to see Moses. Whatever happened, she went to be with her father, and now they're coming back, and, uh, and so Jethro is meeting Moses and asks about what's been going on, and here's the first way that Jethro really helps Moses with his impending burnout. Uh, he encourages him. Jethro, every time he shows up, he's like the best father-in-law ever. He seems like he always is like really rooting for Moses. He always loves him and tries to encourage him and supports him in what he's doing. When he hears about everything that has happened, all the work that God has done through Moses for the people of Israel, he rejoices for all the good that God has done, and he's telling Moses that. He's, uh, he's a priest at Midian, and so just like more history, um, Midian was one of Abraham's children after Isaac. So Abraham, Abraham has Isaac and Isaac leads to the people of Israel. He has another son named Midian, and they become this people. And so Jethro himself is also descended from Abraham. Uh, but this is like hundreds of years at this point. And so he's a priest at Midian, and he probably worships the God of Abraham. 
he might also worship other gods. This is something that is uh, maybe kind of hard to see from our modern perspective, but in the Old Testament, for a very long period of time, uh, even the people of Israel acknowledge other gods, like the Egyptian gods and the Canaanite gods. They, all, they have a long history of uh, falling into uh, worshiping pagan gods and uh, committing idolatry, and then God is upset with them about that. And it's not until they are uh, conquered and exiled and then returned to Israel that they start taking God's words very seriously when he says, I am the one true God, all other gods are false. They'd be like, wow, actually maybe that's true and this is the one true God and these others are all false and, and not real. Um, but that's a long time coming and you even see it in some of the words that Jethro says here, right? The Lord is greater than all gods. So he's like, I have a higher acknowledgement and respect for the God of Abraham. He kind of recognizes all the others. Um, it's hard to know what the people of Midian may have worshipped, uh, but certainly the God of Abraham. Um, but the result of the work that God has done through Moses, we see it in Jethro here that he, he starts kind of erupting in worship and praise for God, and he has like this renewed commitment. It feels, it feels like there's a genuine excitement in him about the incredible things that God has been doing through Moses. This has to be really like nice for Moses to hear and validating because you've, if you've been here the past few weeks and you look at the things Moses has been dealing with, um, the, a lot of like grumbling and complaining and even the time when the people of Israel were gonna throw stones at him and kill him, like, the people have not been encouraging Moses. I think Jethro has the spiritual gift of encouragement. I don't think anyone else in Israel does, um, at least not that we can see. Uh, spiritual gifts, like, there are things that the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, supernaturally empowers in us to make us more effective than in other things. That's essentially what spiritual gifts are, and God gives them to us to build up one another and build up his kingdom on the earth, and every spiritual gift is, is a blessing to the, the church and to the people that are all around you. But I, I really, really love it when people have the gift of encouragement. Um, people with the gift of encouragement, they make really good mentors and coaches. Like, that's one of the roles they really easily fit into. They're, they're just so good. They're such a blessing because what they do is they accurately pick out what people's real strengths are. And they really see the, the good that people are doing, the results that they're producing, even when they might not see it themselves. And they're, they're right about it. Uh, even when they're offering like correction for like, here's, here's what you could improve, or here's maybe what you should change, or I don't think maybe you should be doing that, you should do this instead. They're, still, they're being accurate about the things that you're really good at, and it has this, this amazing way of kind of motivating you to put more of yourself into the stuff that God, that God is really, you know, created for you, the purpose that he has for you. And it's not empty words. Like they, the, the great thing about people with this spiritual gift is they're really paying attention to the people around them, and they're really seeing accurately into their lives. So it's not like, a, it doesn't feel like you're just getting these, these empty words that, that, aren't really, uh, that aren't really true. It actually can open your eyes to start seeing things that you didn't see in yourself, but, but when you start thinking about it, you say, wow, okay, that really is there. Uh, when you don't have anyone in your life 
with the gift of encouragement. Like if all the people in your life, the only gift they have is the gift of brutal honesty, um, that's going to wear you down. Because like brutal honesty, that is what we see in Israel. Like, yeah, they're honest, but they're only honest about the stuff they don't like. That's the only thing they're ever talking about. And they're not afraid to tell Moses, like, hey, I think you're bad at this. Uh, I think you could do this a lot better. Like, wow, that was a bad idea. Like, they're, they're totally fine with saying all that stuff, but they're not seeing any of the good things. And that's why it's a lopsided, uh, brutal honesty. That's what I think about people who describe themselves that way. So just, you know, if you think of yourself that way, think about that. Um, that's, you know, it's, it's just harshness. Moses has been receiving a lot of harshness. And Jethro, from like this outsider's perspective, he sees how God has, and we get the same outsider's perspective, how God has miraculously freed them from slavery, where they were crying out for salvation. We see how he's miraculously provided for them again and again and again in the wilderness. And now Moses finally gets to hear that validation that, yes, he actually is doing something important. It's actually good, and people can actually worship and praise God because of it. Sometimes this is like one of the really big contributors to burnout, this lack of validation, uh, lack of recognition, lack of gratitude, because it feels like you're doing all this stuff, and no one sees it, and it doesn't mean, it doesn't matter to anyone. If you, can't, if you never hear those words, it starts to feel like what you're doing just doesn't matter. Um, two things here. One, if you have the gift of encouragement, please, please make sure that you're using it. You have no idea how much power a few words of insightful encouragement uh, can, can have to impact someone's life in a really positive way. Even if you don't have the gift of encouragement, it doesn't mean that you should never encourage people. That's like one of the things about spiritual gifts. These are things that um, there's, there's an area in your life you're supernaturally empowered for, but it doesn't mean that you just get a pass on all the other things, you know? Like it, some of the spiritual gifts like evangelism and serving and generosity, like some people are supernaturally empowered for those things. You still have to do evangelism and serve and be generous and and encourage. Like you still do those things. Um, and you, here's why that's really important. Even if you're not gifted that way, you may have people in your life who are waiting not for validation or recognition in general. They're waiting for it from you. You might have people in your life who are waiting for you to say to them, I see what you're doing. I see what you're good at. I see that it matters and, and offer them that, that recognition and that validation. And the second thing, if that's you and you're in the place of waiting and you're not receiving any of those words, um, you, you don't feel seen, you don't feel recognized, and because of that, you don't feel like what you're doing really matters much to anyone. I know that's a really frustrating place to be. I think what you should do is maybe send your friends, your coworkers, your family, uh, a link to the sermon, and maybe they'll get the hint. Um, no, don't do that. Uh, I do think, I do think this is one of the reasons that Christian community is important, and one of the ways that Christian community supports you in, in the way that you really need. 
in, in Christian community coming together not just to hang out and have fun, although you can do that, but you're also there to support one another, to uh, pray for one another, to encourage one another. Um, really important. And maybe if you haven't taken that step to be in community yet, maybe that's a step you should think about taking. Let's keep reading in Exodus 18 and now in verse 13. This is where we see Jethro's uh, concern for Moses. And, and here's where we really see the evidence that, uh, that, that Moses may not hold out for much longer if things continue the way they are. Verse 13, the next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. So the next day, Moses goes back to work with his daily tasks, and this is what Moses does when they're not uh, being led to a new location or when God doesn't have some supernatural thing for him to do. Uh, he sits with the people and he makes them to know God's word. They come to ask him questions. He tells them, here's what God says about that, and, uh, and also to decide between disputes that people have. And, um, and Jethro's there to, to watch everything, and, you know, He's, he's doing this for all the people. And what we read when Pharaoh finally let the people out of Egypt and they left, and it said there are 600,000 men besides women and children. And there is some debate over that number. Um, and the reason that that debate is, you know, it's hard to come to a conclusion on is because the way that the number's written in Hebrew is there are 600 of these uh, military units. You know, like that's what the actual word says. 600 military units, and that could be 1,000 people. Um, but it could also be 100 people, or even as few as 10 people. And, and that's why we're just really not sure. It could be 600,000. It could be um, just 600 military units of, of a smaller number, besides the women and children. Either way, it, it is a lot of people, like no matter how you slice it. And, uh, and if it is 600,000, then that's more than 2 million people. So that is absolutely massive. And they are on a nomadic journey through the wilderness. Um, we don't live like that. We live in our like regular houses or our apartments that just stay where they are, and we don't like tend to move from place to place. And even like not moving anywhere, people have disputes with their neighbors all the time, right? Like over crazy stuff, over you know leaves, property line, noise, things like that. When I, uh, I recently moved, we, we bought a home, but uh, we were in a condo and we were in an HOA. HOAs are the worst. Like, are any of you in an HOA? Like, there's such petty things going on when a vast number of people all have input into the way that everyone's house should be that is just not natural or normal. Um, but like, so we would, uh, like all our neighbors were fine that we knew in person, but then we'd always get like letters or notices by the garbage that would say like, you can't have bird feeders anymore. Uh, or like, you know, um, you can't, you can't leave your chairs outside. You have to leave, you have to bring them inside overnight. It's just like weird things that a few people would get really passionate about and make the rest of us mad. 
Um, I, my one rule for like moving was I'm never going to be in an HOA again. I'm in an HOA again. Uh, it's God humbling me. But, uh, you know, it was the only thing we could find. But thankfully, like, they don't have rules about the way your house is supposed to be. It's all because it's part of a lake, and so it's just about the lake. So at least I hope it doesn't go that way. Um, anyways, this is, like, this massive group of people, and they're, they're constantly moving. You can imagine they'd have a large number of disputes, and Moses has to handle all of them. This, this is where Moses come, uh, Jethro comes through again, and tells Moses exactly what he needs to hear. Um, and what Moses needs to hear is, you know, at this point, what you're doing is not good. Like, the first thing he says is, wow, like, what you've been doing is great. And now he sees a little bit closer, and he says, man, what you're doing is not good. Um, but, but Moses needs to hear it. Uh, the, the problem is Moses is going to wear himself out because he's doing too much on his own. Just like we saw last week, this is like a little bit of foreshadowing the battle that they fought with Amalek where Moses is keeping his hands raised and as long as his hands are raised, they're prevailing in the battle, but he's not able to hold up his arms himself. He has two people that are holding his arms up for him. Like this is a burden that he's not able to carry himself. This big, big factor in burnout. This is the big one. Um, when, when you're doing too much, you're carrying too heavy of a load and uh, then you're able to, to handle on your own. And maybe it's because of the sheer quantity of stuff that you're being asked to do or, or what you're asked to hold up. Sometimes it's the way that you're being asked to hold it up that like you're being micromanaged, that's a big problem, or you're not being supported enough, or there's not clear communication, there are all these things. But the, you know, it, it, it comes down to the fact that you feel overwhelmed by everything that you're being expected to do. For some of you, you are doing too much because you have to, and then that's outside of your control. And, you know, the job that you have or the work that you're doing, um, too much is being expected of you. You hear this all the time for people from their employment. You know, bad bosses is, like, really bi uh, big, you know, bad managers, or even, like, the coworkers around you, they're not pulling their weight. Um, I also hear this a lot with kids, uh, kids in school, that they are, and this is becoming worse, this is trending, the stress level and the workload on kids has been trending up for a long time, even from when I was in high school, like 13 years ago. Um, the, the amount of homework that's expected of them and the projects and the tests to study for, not only all those things, but balancing that with any kind of activities they do, any sports or, or activities they might be involved in or working a part-time job. And it's not just everything they have to do, it's the significance that's attached to everything they do, even from middle school or younger, that, hey, you have to get good grades, you have to perform well, you have to do all the right things to pad your resume so you can get into a good college, so you can get a good job, so you can have a happy life. And they're thinking about this from like under 10 years old. And the stress is being piled and piled and piled on them, and kids are not doing well with managing that. And again, it's not, you know, it's, it's school, it's work, it could be the responsibilities you have in your home. Uh, this, this is something to be aware of, you know, if boundaries you can set or if you do need an abrupt change or, or whatever it is, you need to be aware of that. This is something to be aware of if you're in a position that you are in leadership over anyone. 
So like parents with their kids, be aware of this. Or if you're a manager, you have people that report to you, or you're, you're a business owner, or you're even in a leadership position in like the church, um, be aware, are you asking too much? Are you handing over too much work and not enough support uh, or not clear communication? And are you overwhelming someone with what you're expecting of them? Some people, some of you are overwhelmed because of what is expected of you and that's kind of outside your control. Some of you are under stress because you're giving yourself too much. You are taking on the responsibilities yourself and you're not willing to hand that off to anyone else. Um, you, uh, you either you have a need to be in control or you don't trust anyone else to do what you know you could do better yourself uh, or uh, you need people to depend on you, like you need people to feel like they need you, and so, uh, so you're not willing to let anything go for that reason. Um, whatever it is, it's not healthy. If you're giving yourself too much to do and if you're able to make some of these changes to, to set boundaries or to hand things off and you're not doing it, you need to think about starting because this is only going to work until you do reach burnout and then you crash and that's, that's not a good place to be. Some of you, like, you, you, you need a Jethro in your life and if you had Jethro, if he showed up and he could kind of watch what you do, if he could just observe you for a day, for some of you, he would say to you the same thing he's saying to Moses, what you're doing is not good. This is too much for you. You need to make a change. You need to let something go. It can't stay the way that it is. Where is it that you're, you're trying to do too much or you have too much and, and one of these changes needs to be made? Where are you unwilling to make those changes? Or you're unwilling to hand things off. You're unwilling to, to have a conversation about, about healthy boundaries. What's it going to take for you to actually uh, not do everything yourself? You know, is that point only going to come for you when, when you do hit burnout? Let's keep reading in verse 19, and this is the, the advice, the solution that, that Jethro provides for Moses. He says, Now obey my voice, I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought up to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. 
all right? Jethro's advice, pretty, pretty good. It's essentially two things. Um, first, instead of being on a case-by-case uh, basis where people come up to Moses, they have a question, they say, hey, what, is, what does God say about this? Um, instead of doing that for each person individually, Moses should teach all the people at once here's what God's word is, here's what it says, here's what his statutes and his rules are, so they know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Instead of being individualized to each person, every person will be taught God's word by Moses and be able to apply what they know about God's word to their own lives. And this is way more efficient. Um, And it's also better for the people, especially when you think about the later generations, because like this only works when Moses is here, because Moses speaks to God face to face. Like, no one else does that. And so when he's gone, if they don't have a way to get God's word, that's going to be a problem. This was a really strong conviction the reformers had. 500 years ago, during the Reformation, they saw it was a problem that the church services were conducted in Latin, and no one understood Latin anymore. Only the, only the priests understood Latin and could speak it. And the Bible, they were all illiterate, but the Bible was written in Latin. And so one of, the, one of the big efforts that they had, they believed that every person should be able to hear and know and understand God's word for themselves. They should be able to, to, to explore it for themselves and understand what God's word is and not have to rely on going to a priest for the priest to tell them. And they have no way of verifying what the priest says. Um, and so what they did was one of their big efforts was in translating the Bible into the languages people actually spoke. And then, you know, in God's providence, this also coincided with the invention of the printing press. It was also making Bibles written in the languages people spoke widely available to increase literacy. And that's, that's what happened. And, and that's one of the reasons I love that we have the Bible and that you can all have the Bible because it's not just like me saying, trust me. You know, it's like you can see for yourself and you could see if, if I'm totally off on something. And, and obviously if I am, I don't, I, I don't want to persist in that. I want to be corrected. And so we're all held to the standard of God's word. But what happens with Moses here is he becomes much more efficient. Just because you can improve efficiency, it doesn't mean that what you're doing is wrong. Like Moses was probably really good at when people had questions telling them, here's what God says about that. Um, But there could be a way for you to be much more effective that you haven't thought of for yourself and also makes things easier on you. There might be a way that you can make a change in your life to just make things a lot more effective. Um, The second piece of Jethro's advice is delegating responsibility the, of judging these disputes to, to people that he finds trustworthy and, uh, and to organize them so they can settle disputes themselves. Uh, it's kind of like the court system, I think, like our own court system where like if there's a decision in a lower court and you disagree with it, you can appeal it and it goes higher and then like that can keep on going up to the Supreme Court. I don't mean to brag, but I did take AP Gov in high school, so I know a lot. Um, I did not take the test, and I got no credits for it. But what, what I really love about the system is the, the levels of organization that there are these chiefs over thousands and hundreds and fifties and, and tens, that at, at each level there's going to be people who are responsible for serving the people they're over. 
And that's why it's important that they're trustworthy and they hate a bribe because they're not gonna they're not gonna take advantage of that and uh, you know and and lord their authority over people. They're they're there to be of service to the people that they're leading. But this is something that God Himself starts getting into in the very next chapter. And so I usually never do this. In fact, I don't think I've ever done this. But um, pulling a verse from next week's sermon that we're covering and, and bring it into this one because you know. You don't want to shoot yourself in the foot, say all your stuff now, and then I got nothing next week, and uh, and you all feel like you don't have to show up, but uh, but I'm only going to say part of my point. So you still, you know, if you don't show up next week, you're going to miss out. Um, Exodus 19, verse 6. This is God speaking to Moses to give these words to the pe- people of Israel, and he says, um, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation kingdom of priests. The, the New Testament uses this, the same language, and the idea is that, you know, every single person who belongs to the people of God has a role in the work that God is doing in the world. Every person has a role. No one is sitting on the sideline. No one's an observer. If, if, you're, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a worshiper of the God of the Bible, you are given an active role, and if you're not in it, if you're just being passive and you're not, and you are observing, you're, you're not doing anything with the, um, the, the talents God's given you, the gifts that he's given you, the experiences and the strength that he's given you uh, to serve others and, and meet their needs, that's an obedience problem. You're not following God in the way that he's trying to lead you. Like, everyone has a role. Everyone is able to serve the people around them and show them God's grace and, and remind them of God's word and to meet their needs. Like, you're, you're always able to do something. What is, the, the kind of faith that we see God call people to in the Bible, it's never a casual thing that makes barely any change in your life. You know, like a, like a casual thing that leaves your life pretty much before you knew Jesus and after your decision to follow him, it leaves your life basically untouched. That's not the faith that God calls people to in the Bible. What's completely foreign to biblical Christianity is any expression of faith that is characterized by shopping around for the best services. Shopping around for the, the church that is the most comfortable for you, the most, the most entertaining, um, the church that, that conforms to your own preferences. I'm not saying that you should be in a church that you don't feel at home there, but church does not exist to create a spiritual experience for you to show up, enjoy, and go home. It's not what church exists for. Church exists for the worship of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and to advance his mission on the earth, making disciples of him, showing people his love, changing their hearts, giving them the hope of forgiveness and eternal life. That's a mission that we're all on together. We all have a role in that mission. No one, no single person is bearing the weight of all of that. No single person is responsible. I'm not the one in this church who is most responsible for that. We're sharing that. We're all carrying the load together. We all have our role. We're a kingdom of priests. 
said a little more than I initially intended to for next week's, but it'll be a little different. So you still want to make sure you're there for that. Um, the final point to get to here when thinking about all the, the, the immense stress and weight that Moses is under and Jethro is helping him to make wise changes and, and even just to be aware, like it's, it's not healthy, it's not good for you to be trying to do this all on your own um, and he's had no one there to, to speak encouraging words to him and, and thinking about us, thinking about the, the stress that you're all under, all the weight that you're trying to bear up, all the burdens that you're carrying. The good news of the gospel is, you know, if you feel like it's all on you and you feel like you're alone in that, the good news of the gospel is you're not. You're not asked to carry anything on your own. And especially the heaviest burdens, like, man, work can be a burden and the things that you're asked to do and the tasks that you have, the expectations that you're trying to meet, those things are heavy, but they're not the heaviest things we carry. The heaviest things we carry are things like the feeling that I'm not good enough. I want to be good enough. I'm trying to be good enough, but I don't, I honestly don't feel like I'm good enough. I don't feel like I'm I'm really worthy to be loved. I don't feel like I'm worthy to be accepted by God. The weight that you carry around that is your uh, your guilt and your regrets and your shame where you think, I, I can't believe what I did, but I can't change it. I wish I could. I wish I could do something about this, but I can't. You carry those things around with you. Jesus says this in Matthew 11. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invites you. He's inviting you now, this morning, to go to him with all your stress, and all your burdens, and to give those things to him. He will give you rest. Because Jesus is the one who takes them from you. He's the one who will carry them for you. I mean, what Jesus does for us in the gospel, Jesus, he lives a perfect life. Okay, all that I'm not good enough, I can't measure up, Jesus did. He, through his life, he never sinned, lived perfectly righteous. He, uh, he, earned, he earned the credit of a completely righteous life. And then what he does is he offers to give that record to you as a gift, the record of his merits and achievements in righteousness. He wants to wrap you up in the robe of his righteousness so that you are covered and it belongs to you. That's what he wants to give you. And at the same time, he takes your record of how you've lived and all your sins and all your mistakes and all your failures and every way that you've failed to measure up. He removes those things from you and he puts them on himself and he goes to the cross to pay your debt in full. Jesus removes the burden. He takes it on himself why that's how he gives you rest rest for your soul 
You know the, the footsteps poem? Everyone knows the footsteps poem. The one where you're like, at the end, I, like, I look back over my life and I saw two sets of footprints in the sand. Uh, footprints, maybe, is what it's called. And, um, and uh, it was like me walking next to God, but then I saw in the hardest times in my life, there was only one set. And so I got upset and I asked God, why, when I needed you the most, why was it only me? Why'd you leave me alone? Where were you? And then God says, well, it's in those times that I was carrying you. And um, sometimes people make fun of that poem for, uh, they like kind of playfully mock it. They're like, well, if it, if it was real, it'd be like a set of footprints and two solid lines because God was dragging me the whole way or, uh, or like one set of footsteps the whole time because I never took a step in my life. It was always him. And like, okay, calm down. Uh, I like the poem. I like the way that it is because it captures the way that we feel. When you look at like the hard things that you've gone through, it captures that feeling of, God, where were you in this? It felt like you weren't there because if you were there, maybe that wouldn't have happened or if you were there, maybe I would have felt different or it would have been better or just something would have been different. That is how it feels. But in those hard times, if we if we go and we really start looking for God, if we try to find where he is, you can always see him right there on that cross for you. And that's where he, that's where he was. That's where he showed up for you. Because he loves you, because you matter so much to him. Because he's not willing to abandon you or to, to leave you alone. If you're... If you're close to burnout today, I hope you're not, but maybe you are. Or if you're in the middle of it, if you've crashed and you've not started back up, I hope that you've realized and you remember today you can come to Jesus. You can find rest for your soul. It doesn't mean that you don't have to make some real changes in your life too, like some real wise changes like Jethro advises Moses in, maybe you know, I mean, talk to people and pray about it and see what you can do about, um, about lessening your workload, handing things off, setting boundaries. If you're not getting the support you need and you can't, maybe finding something new. Those are all fine things to do. Those are important. But no matter how crushing the weight you feel that you're carrying, I hope you remember you can always hand it to Jesus. You can rest in his his promises that he loves you, he forgives you, he makes you righteous, he gives you the hope of eternal life, he'll never let you go, he'll never abandon you. I mean, those are the truths that'll carry you. Those are the ones that'll keep you from falling deeply into the pit of despair. And I hope they do for you. Let me pray for us.